0: hello and welcome to the TV movie rewind podcast with Matt and Todd hi everyone well we're into our uh, we're past 100 episodes we're now at 101 mm-hmm. just broke my arm patting myself on the back <laughs> you know because this is so difficult this to, for us to do it's such oh, yeah. an accomplishment um so but we're going with this is another big movie this you know the towering inferno 1974. One of the biggest, you know, casts ever assembled to be, you know, burned alive or dropped <laughs> from large heights, uh,
1: or be, um, be, be treated very badly. And I, I don't mean like, you know, in any sort of like actingly way. I mean, just like, like their characters are just very grimy.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> this was, I mean, in the, the seventies, especially the, the early seventies. Disaster movies were what superhero movies are today. Sure. They were what brought everybody to the theaters. They were a big spectacle. They they spent a ton of money on them. I mean, they were blockbusters before, you know, because a lot of people cite Jaws as the first blockbuster turned, you know, summer temple, But this was obviously an event movie. I mean, you get a cast like Paul Newman... Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Uh, something about him at the back of my mind. Anyways, William Holden, Faye Dunaway, Robert Vaughn. Robert Vaughn. Something about Robert Vaughn, too. Oh, Todd, what other movie were Steve McQueen and Robert Vaughn in? Together? Oh,
1: Jesus. Uh, you put me on the spot. Bullet. They are in Bullet, Bullet, right? That's yeah. right. They yeah. were
0: both in Bullet. Peter Yates. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned, Faye Dunaway. Gone Away. Peter they- Yates directed that.
1: Yes. The same Peter Yates who would direct uh, like some Harry Potter movies later. I think that's the same Peter. Oh, it doesn't matter. We'll figure that out later. This is about that- the Powering Inferno.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the Peter Yates I'm talking about is the one who directed. Um, I probably have the name.
1: anyway. Yeah. Oh wow, really? Okay, cool. Oh, you probably you don't know, you probably mentioned that when we talked about Crawl. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, huge cast, in including Bobby Brady. Yes. As, Mike Lickman as, himself, uh, yeah. Mike looking. And I'm not sure whether he was, because this came out in 74, which I believe was the last year for the Brady Bunch. Mm. So, I don't know if he was still filming some Brady Bunch or if he was completely done with it when he came on to do this. So, you think about that. Well, the release for this
1: was December 16th, 74. So... He, he got to on the would... Brady Bunch,
0: yeah. Yeah, he, he might have still been filming some Brady Bunch, probably, because right.
1: you figure this was filmed, I guess, months beforehand. And to your point of it being um, a blockbuster, I mean, the budget for this was fourteen million, not not small shakes in nineteen seventy four, but the box office was two hundred and three point yeah. three million. So you know,
0: people, people <laughs> love these disaster movies, and
1: that's 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 um, that's um, not Carter Nixon Nixon bucks for seventy four.
0: And, um, you know, this was, you know, produced and partially directed by Irwin Allen. Mm-hmm. He directed the action sequences, which is a good portion of the movie. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, this is almost this is kind of his follow up to the Poseidon adventure. Mm-hmm. Which is another movie we love. But, oh, back yeah. to you know, like Mike Looklin, you think about this kid. He... Get yes. to work with that's right, you talked about this, Joe guy. Namath. Yep, Paul Newman and Steve McQueen. Although he doesn't really get to appear with Steve McQueen in this movie, I don't think he has any scenes. But just think of that just think about being a kid who gets to say, Yeah, I met and had scenes with Joe Namath and Paul Newman.
1: Well, also, like, uh, what Don Gysdale and Davy Jones of the bunkies, right?
0: Yes. Again, I don't know. I, I'm thinking back. I don't really think he got much to do with Davy Jones, but he did sure, get meet the... uh, Don Drysdale. But it's all, you know, what can't... I mean, forget about bragging you're in the TV show Brady Bunch. Sure. You know? Oh, Again, yeah, Gone off topic. But um, Yeah, semi-topic. Yeah. Unlike Poseidon Adventure, Poseidon Adventure is, is, in many ways, a smaller movie. It's mm-hmm. much more to the point Mm -hmm. because in Poseidon Adventure you meet the main characters and you follow the same group through the entire movie right right
1: this this movie yeah this movie definitely jumps around Um, you know there's a time that uh, if they were to do this movie you'd get a lot of that like split screen or like quad screen stuff Um, which I don't know maybe that wasn't a thing back then but um, you almost expect to see it because they do jump around an awful lot and this is a long movie too um It's. I want to say it's like two hours, 45 minutes or something. Um, It's worth it. I mean, it's an excellent movie, but the problem is is you have this huge star-studded cast. You want to give everybody a lot of screen time and really flesh out the story, and they really do. Uh, But that takes its time.
0: Right. In Poseidon Adventure, the boat rolls over in about 20 minutes. Right. This movie, it's, you know, you're over 45 minutes in before it really, you know, really starts.
1: And it should be important. We want to point out... um, Oh, Fred Astaire, by the way, uh, in this as well. I don't know if you mentioned him. I, I guess we didn't even get through the cast yet. Were you still going through the cast?
0: Well, I mean, as we're talking about, we're going to talk about, you know, the cast. Because I can't think of, unlike an Adventure, where I can tell you the characters' names mm-hmm. that everybody played. In this movie, it's Paul Newman. It's Steve McQueen. Sure. It's, it's William Holden. For sure. It's Fred Astaire. It's yep. Jennifer Jones. The only reason I know Jennifer Jones played a woman named Lizette is because Fred Astaire yes. calls it out a bunch of times.
1: Yes, I um,
0: to your point like Lisette. Uh, to,
1: to your point, like I know, I know Robert Vaughn is Senator Gary Parker. I know Steve McQueen is um, uh, O'Halloran. Um, for the life of me, I couldn't tell you Fred Astaire's name in this movie. Yeah,
0: that's that's <laughs> or Paul I'm Newman's.
1: Saying. Actually, I can't remember Paul Newman's either. <laughs> so yeah.
0: His first name was Doug. I, I don't yes. remember I fi- know, yes. yeah. anything else. But yeah, you know, it's funny that you should remember the, the names of the characters played by Steve McQueen and Robert Vaughn because they were in Bullet together.
1: Because they were in Bullet together, exactly.
0: But yeah, I, I, I can't... And that's another thing about this movie is I don't see the characters they're playing. I see the actors. And that's yes. fine because it actually makes the horrible things that happen to them less horrible because i'm completely aware i'm watching oh. a movie and this is all spectacle and it's a and it's like it's uh, it pulls no punches
1: no th- this one at least i mean it's not like super gory i mean it's 1974 but it pulls no punches with how people go in this movie and when um, it's uh it's it's pretty raw but again does treat it like a um, I remember when we talked about uh, Poseidon Adventure, and uh, you know, calling it an adventure—basically, this like horrible disaster where like most of the people die, and all of this happens. Um, the, the you know, you you almost wonder why they didn't give this like such a flowery name. I wonder if they even considered that because this one is like oof. This one, this this one can be pretty rough.
0: Yeah, and 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 also, unlike Poseidon Adventure, this is definitely more soap opery. For sure. And not only in the way it's telling numerous stories the way a soap opera would, following different characters, it, there's, a, there's a lot of drama between the characters and their girlfriends and wives and and, and all that.
1: This would be like the perfect two-hour... T- way too expensive for one, but this, this would be like the perfect two-hour TV event. Like two-night, rather, TV event.
0: There's even the, the, the scenes where... You know, a male character will be drinking and staring off angrily while the woman is behind him telling them, you know, I'm here for you. Let's discuss this. Let's talk. It's very soap opera-like. But let's get into the movie itself. Um, This is based on – this is a co-production between Paramount – And 20th Century Fox? Uh, No, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox. Or Paramount and Warner Brothers. Which Which (laughs) No, you were right. It's 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers.
1: Which is crazy when you think about it.
0: Because one of them, well, what happened was one of them had the rights to a novel called The Tower. And another one had the rights to a novel, The Glass Inferno, which were both about horrific fires and skyscrapers and they were both ready to make movies and i think Irwin allen was interested in producing one or the other and he was like you know guys he went to both studios and said if you both make these movies you're just going to compete with each other you're going to cancel out a lot of your box office because there's going to people going to go see one or the other they probably won't see both we collaborate everybody is going to come see this movie well yeah, cuz I mean it's literally like
1: now it would be literally like Marvel and DC teaming up.
0: Well, I mean right? like I mean you think about it because especially like you think the 90s you had the competing volcano movies sure. with Volcano and Dante's Peak, you had the competing asteroids. If actually those studios had collaborated, they exactly. probably would have each made more money working together. Absolutely. But we don't know. We'll never, yeah, we'll never know. So, you know, they combined the movies. They got two of the big, not only the biggest stars of the time, but let's face it, Paul Newman is one of the biggest movie stars of all time, for sure. I mean, just huge, which of course led to the famous problem of the billing where they both, both Paul Newman and Steve McQueen felt they deserved the top billing. William Holden apparently felt he deserved top billing as well, but even the studios were like, sorry, you're your top billing time has come and gone right. a few years ago. Right, right. If we're being fair, yeah. So this movie, you know, and it's been used since. I I usually think of it in Cheers, where Ted Danson and Shelley Long, or later Ted dancing and Kirstie Alley, had the you know staggered billing, whereas one is in the lower left and the other is in the upper right. So if you're reading from top to bottom, you read one first. If you're reading left to right, you read the other guy first. The way they stagger this in the movie, though, it's obviously like you see Steve McQueen more before you see Paul Newman until the end credits as they're scrolling up. Then you see Paul Newman before you see Steve McQueen. Now, personally, you know, over the years, I've become a bigger fan of Paul Newman. I was a bigger fan of Steve McQueen, you know, maybe 20 years ago. I've become a bigger fan of Paul Newman now. I think Paul Newman deserved top Billings simply because he's in the entire movie. And yeah, he's the first
1: and last person you see.
0: <laughs> Steve McQueen doesn't show up until 45 minutes in.
1: Right. Right, no, Paul Newman, I, I believe, is literally the first and last. Well, you, technically, you see the helicopter, but he's in it, and he's the first and last person you see. Yeah, yeah, but
0: you know, the movie ends on his face, if I remember right. I, I, I know famously McQueen had a huge ego. I don't know if that's the same for Paul Newman. I just, I just, it's one of those things you almost always hear when anybody's ever talking about Steve McQueen is he had the ego and was always trying right. to get the spotlight. So Which... I'm sure that had a lot to do with this. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm not showing up until I'm 45 minutes in. I get the same amount of lines as Paul Newman, and I get the the, the top billing. Because right. people are coming to see me. Not In fact, I remember hearing in a documentary about Steve McQueen, he used to jokingly give his autograph and then say, now hold on to that, because that's worth two Paul Newman autographs. Wow.
1: So he did he... Now, did they... Did they ever cross paths in some way or was it just
0: Steve McQueen being Steve McQueen like he felt he felt? I think that was just Steve McQueen because Paul Newman was, of course, bigger before McQueen got big. So I think that was just way Steve McQueen's way of like one day I'm going to be bigger than Paul Newman. Gotcha. So that was like his
1: measuring stick. He just picked he picked Paul Newman because he was the guy at the time. Got it. Yes.
0: But, you know, and and they do share a couple of scenes together in the movie, but isn't really until the climax that they're, you know, really in this thing together.
1: Right. And they're great Um, together.
0: Also, we want to point out for the cast, Jennifer Jones, this is her final film performance. She retired and, you know, she, she was around another 30 years. So I don't know if maybe this movie just, put her through the ringer, because their character is definitely put through the ringer. But I I know, you know, she of of all the female cast in this movie, she's really the only one given anything to do. Because you get Faye Dunaway, who is basically given the thankless role of simply being Paul Newman's girlfriend. She doesn't get to do anything in this movie, really. Uh, Susan Blakely. no not
1: really yeah she just gets to play off him and and well to go to your uh, soap opera like she's kind of like yeah soap opera character
0: Susan Blakely actually gets more to do because she's married to Richard Chamberlain's character in this movie and since Richard Chamberlain gets to be our slime ball villain as much as you get to be in one of these movies she at least gets some good scenes
1: um I mean he's bad. Uh, but,
0: uh, you know, Chamberlain is worse. That's what I said. Oh, sorry. I thought you said Holden. No, no. William Holden, yeah, who plays... William Holden plays uh, Susan Blakely's father. Gotcha. But, yeah, so let's let's get into the film itself. You know, it's it's one of those, you know...
1: Yeah, our minute-by-minute minute account. Well, <laughs> hey, we ain't
0: got time for that. We'll, well try if, to if, keep this as short... Because it is basically, you know, what a disaster movie taking place in what in the movie universe is the world's tallest building made out of paper mache and the most <laughs> flammable <laughs> objects. Well,
1: because they wired the building with, with uh, aluminum
0: foil. <laughs> this movie is, uh, this building bursts into flames like you would think that if they, you know, lit it. Little somebody was lighting a cigarette; it would have gone up.
1: Yeah, yeah, towering inferno it is. Um, I, I guess you know, spoiler. But at one point, like one of the one of the lines that stands out to me is when um R- Richard Chamberlain says to William Holden, like, you know, w- w- how did you save the other four million <laughs> in electrical costs or something? It's oh man.
0: Yeah, so let's let's I just... really imagine what this place is like. We'll we'll try to blanket this as as, as quickly as possible. Paul Newman plays the architect of the building, and it's the building's grand opening. Apparently, you know businesses and residents. You know it's it's a hundred and twenty-four floors. No, I think it's more than that. It, um, you know, maybe I'm thinking thirty-four.
1: I want to say it's more like a hundred, th- at least hundred and thirty-five or more. Yeah.
0: So yeah, well, it's over a hundred thirty floors. And there are businesses offices up to the 80th floor. Everything above that is residential, except for the promenade deck, where a good portion of the movie takes place, because this is where the big gala event and dedication for the building is being held. And we have Paul Newman, who's the architect of the movie of the building. Faye Dunaway is his girlfriend. We have William Holden, who is the the contractor construction magnet who built the building his daughter's played by Susan Blakely who's married to Richard Chamberlain one of the subcontractors who helped put the place together and it was his mostly his cost cutting that causes the, the building to be such a disaster and I mean he, he does say that everything he put in the building was up to code, but even Paul Newman says, no, the, the code as it stands didn't cover this building. Right. That's why I overdid everything. That's why That's why I put in the specifications. We needed higher gauge wire. We needed more fire stops. We need all the stuff that ends up not being put in the building. Right. We have Steve McQueen, who is the fire chief, who would be in charge of the numerous departments that come to Put the flames out in this building. We have Jennifer Jones, who is one of the building residents. We have Fred Astaire, who plays a con man who has. We don't know how they got in touch, but he's going on a date with Jennifer Jones at the gala event, and he's going to try to sell her some fake, um, fake stocks. We have newest uh, Robert Wagner. And Susan Flannery, Robert Wagner is in charge of, like, the uh, publicity of the building. And Susan Flannery plays his secretary-slash-girlfriend. Mike Lookalind and Angela Gower, a young brother and sister, who, are be- who um, Jennifer Jones also babysits. They have a, a deaf mother that will become important. Um, O.J. Simpson plays the chief of security and I think uh, if I missed anybody in the oh Robert Vaughn who was in another movie with Steve McQueen he was in Bullet with Steve McQueen and there's the mayor Robert Vaughn is a senator and he's kind of at this thing because uh, William Holden is hoping to get some big government contracts for urban renewal. How the event, I don't think he can count on any of those contracts.
1: No, 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 probably not. Uh, and you also, you missed um, you missed Scott Newman as uh, one of the firemen. Yeah, oh, but it's a,
0: it's, it's a small part. You know, I sure. was we going to get into a lot, of, a lot of that. But basically, you know, during this event, all through the, you know, they, we have a lot of the main cast that go up to the the promenade deck at the top of the building. William Holden's up there having this big party, you know, it's a who's who of society in San Francisco, because that's where the, 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 the building is in San Francisco. And right from the begin beginning Paul Newman and the one of the building's chief check technicians are seeing that, you know, The wiring's overheating. They're getting like little, you know, smoke coming from, you know, everything seems to be kind of going wrong. And a fire breaks out in one of the storage closets. And this is not like a minor little, like they open the closet door and so much fire erupts, it kills the technician that is with Paul Newman. And it just, and it's already spreading everywhere. It's already a major fire that they need to call in the fire department for. And of course, you know, when Steve McQueen eventually gets there and is trying to get into the hole, like we need to shut down that party and get everybody up there down to the, you know, the fire starts on the 81st floor. And all through the movie, you know, not through the movie, but, you know, Paul Newman's like, you got to get the people out of there. And William Holden's like, a fire on the 81st floor is not going to ha- affect anything up here. Not in this building. It's the same hubris of, like, you see in all the Titanic movies. This ship is unsinkable. Well, the Titanic worked out better than this building, as far as I can tell.
1: Oh, man. I mean, this, it, yeah. Um, I mean, y- y- the, the shots of the fire, are, are really excellently done like do you know much about the uh production of this movie like was anyone seriously injured during it not
0: as far as i can tell
1: wow that's incredible
0: yeah i, I didn't see anything where, where that 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 happened
1: because i mean the, these you know again these they obviously do the effects as safely as they can but there's a lot of stunts in this movie an awful lot of fire as you would imagine um a
0: lot of requisite smoke like I'm, I'm stunned if no one really got hurt and while they don't say this in the movie if you're watching the movie and kind of paying attention you can see that there's fires go like they, they're constantly yeah. talking about how the fire is starting on the 81st floor but every time they pull away you can see that there's multiple fires on right. multiple floors obviously they just haven't found those yet because the fire spreads through this building just not only incredibly fast but like there's nothing stopping it right the- it just, you know, every and anytime somebody encounters the fire within seconds, it's almost chasing after them.
1: Oh, yeah. No, people catch fire uh, immediately.
0: Yes. And but like I said, we got like a lot of the cast are on the top floor. And when Steve McQueen gets there and he goes up to the promenade and, you know, William Holden tries to argue with him. Oh, no, we don't have to interrupt all that. In fact, you know. I can go over there and talk to the mayor and he's gonna say, and then Steve McQueen cuts him off. It's like when there's a fire in the building, I outrank everybody, including the mayor. So get the you can either tell everybody they need to get down to the, the bottom floor, where you can continue your party, and then everybody can leave if things get out of hand, or I can tell them and cause a panic. So William Holden agrees, and Steve McQueen goes back down and when he gives the announcement, Jennifer Jones knows that, you know, cause they're, they're calling the people, they've got the fire alarms to try to evacuate the building. But Jennifer Jones knows that one Mike look and Jennifer, the, the, the girl, the kids she babysits for their mother's deaf. So she's not going to hear the phone ringing and all that. So she goes to their apartment to find them and, Paul Newman and O.J. Simpson see her on the security monitors and they go to get her. And that's when they find out, you know, because Bobby Brady wears these earphones, so he wasn't hearing anything. The little girl is so little, she hides in the closet. O.J. Simpson rescues the mother and brings her immediately downstairs while Paul Newman gets the two kids. And by the time he gets the two kids out, they're already cut off. So that's how he has to remain in the building. Then you've got, um, uh, I've, oh, Robert Wagner and Susan Flannery, who are down in their, his office together having a little rendezvous. When one of them says, Did you leave a cigarette running, smoking? And they go out, and the entire way out is in, engulfed in flames.
1: Yeah, and- it is, it is like a, it's like a. It's 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 like a scene out of hell or something. Like it's 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 incredible. the the way this movie, um, the way this movie treats the fire is really different from uh, you know most other movies. Like usually, or, or at least you know, in my experience with a lot of movies dealing with fire, like the fire moves so relatively slow. So I guess it can be more like thematically important or whatever and be a bit more dramatic. Whereas in this movie, like it just spreads like and quick.
0: Every. <laughs> Object. Every inch is engulfed in flame. Yeah, yeah. Like, like they don't, they, they don't the mess around. Room, it's not just the drapes and part of the floor. Everything is an inferno. This entire building was apparently doused in kerosene, right? And made out of like tinder.
1: The wires were all insulated with like, hey, yeah. I mean, this thing goes fast. Um, you know, no slow mo fire like crawling across anything. It's like, nope, just um, uh, and 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 suddenly. You know, they'll cut away to just like windows being blown out. It's it's pretty
0: cool, terrifying, but also pretty cool. And Robert Wagner and uh, Susan Flannery find themselves trapped. And I think they get the two worst deaths in the film because at first you kind of like thinking if it's the first time you're watching the movie, you are kind of thinking, well, they're kind of main characters at least, right? They're either going to get out of this. But one of them is going to get out of this. Right. Right. No. It's, no.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's gruesome. It's yeah, just gruesome. Like
0: not, 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 not only do they not get out of it, it's, it's gruesome. And, and whoever the stunt man who does the full body burn while running through more flames as Robert Wagner's character. Right. You know, really earned whatever they paid them for that. Because those body burns are no joke. You know, now, you can't you can't even breathe while you're doing that because you're gonna scorch your lungs.
1: Now, um, this is nineteen seventy four. Do you think they even used accelerant? Like did they need to? Um, given everything was likely polyester and plastic and like you said, dust and gasoline. I mean, I think that's technically accurate.
0: Well, as as far as the characters are concerned, yeah, who knows? But I'm sure they they anybody who was in well, again, who knows in the 70s with sometimes the devil-may-care attitude right. of, what... of some filmmaking. But I'm sure for insurance purposes and with the big names that are in this movie, there were as much precautions they could take as, as they could possibly. Oh, God, yeah.
1: Yeah, right? With, uh, that's a good point. With all the, with all the names in this especially, it's like, oh, we're just going to surround like Steve McQueen and um, Paul Newman and <laughs> William Holden
0: and Fire. Now, again, to the ridiculous, up on the promenade, as they're trying to get people down, Robert Vaughn says to, you know, William Holden's like, you know, if we keep just having people fill up the elevators heading down, this is going to take way too long. Let's just start sending some people down the stairwells. They go to the one stairwell, they open the door, and all the smoke comes out of it. It's like, well, we can't send anybody out this way. Let's try this other door. They go to the other door. They can't even get the door open, and you know they call over Carlos the bartender. Carlos the bartender is played by Gregory C- Sierra. He is my Whit Bissell Award winner, and this was a tough, <laughs> tough call for me to make. Yeah, there so many. I thought Mike Lookinland deserved it. I thought Andrew Lagauer deserved it. I thought um, Ernie. Orsati and Felton Perry, who are the two firemen that go up. Two firemen are sent up the stairwell to get that emergency door open. They're played by Felton Perry and Ernie Orsati.
1: Yeah, Felton Perry, by the way, is uh, my choice. Uh, He plays Fireman Scott. Yes. And- um, but there's a lot of excellent choices in here. I almost gave it to Scott Newman because in his, in his brief scene where he's playing this young, uh, like, green fireman, maybe on his first call, I'm not really sure. Certainly his first in a, in a skyscraper, it would seem. And he realizes he has to do something incredibly tough and he's, you know, somewhat afraid of it. I, I think he does a, a great job, like, you know, um, playing a guy who's trying to keep it together and calm but um it's almost too calm because yeah he's he's scared or at least he's intimidated well, but he gets through it you know and and, and uh, i don't know i think he plays that off really well in his, in his pretty short scene
0: with gregory sierra he's you know he pops up throughout the thing because he's the bartender at the club at the top and yeah you know you see him at one point when paul newman actually gets the kids and jennifer jones up because they can't go down they end up having to go up and we'll get to that You see him giving the kids like little ice cream sundaes. It's a cute scene. And when he's killed right at the end of the damn movie. Yes. When he, you know, he's that close to, you feel bad.
1: Oh, you do. Especially how it's like, oh man, like you had such a, oh, you picked the one spot.
0: Like, man, what in a whole night full of terrible luck, he had some terrible luck. Now, yeah. you picked Felton Perry. Tell people where else to, where they probably know Felton Perry from.
1: Oh. Um, I mean, I know he was in Robocop 3.
0: He's in all three Robocops.
1: Is he in all three Robocops?
0: Oh, yes, he's... he is. That's right. Yeah. He's yeah. the, he's the um, one of the executives of OCP who in the first movie... Oh my god, on... yes, that's right. He's the one that says it tastes like baby food yes. when they're showing the paste that they feed. Robo-Cop. Oh my God. Yep, that is him. So that's where most people, I, 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 you, you're going to know him from.
1: I can see the thing is, I completely actually forgot he was in Robocop. Um, the movie I was thinking of for some reason was Dumb and Dumber, but I blanked on it.
0: Well, that's People might know him from Dumb and Dumber as well. All right. So, as we said, you know, at, at one point, uh, uh, Paul Newman is with Jennifer Jones, and now again, Jennifer Jones was one of the first people in the elevator. She wanted to go. She could have been one of the first people out of the building. Yep. And again, she's really the only female character who really gets a good part in this movie.
1: Yeah. Well, she's so, only she's the only one. Well, I shouldn't say that not the only one in any action scenes, but you're right. Yeah, she gets like the um, she, she gets like a real role. Yeah.
0: She and helps Paul Newman, you know, yeah. they're trying to evacuate the kids, and they're initially trying to go down the stairwell. Well, the stairwell below them explodes because of a gas leak. Again, <laughs> wonderfully constructed building, folks.
1: Well, again, I mean, did we even get to um, why they couldn't open the fire door on the promenade? Speaking of wonderfully constructed building. I mean, my, that's that. the thing. Like, how cheap
0: was this thing to build? <laughs> my goodness. We're going to get to that because, as we said, Richard Chamberlain cut costs everywhere he could. And you find out later, Bill Holden knew that there was another $4 million. Another $4 million. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't even know. So (sighs) we got to figure at least $6 million was taken out of the budget. That's a lot of safety measures they glossed
1: over. Oh, sure. Apparently but, six and, million won't even get you to clean up after yourself and, <laughs> or whatever, whatever they actually paid. rather.
0: Right? Not only that, they obviously hired some of the most incompetent subcontractors they could find, mm-hmm. you know, like they clearly down to the corner. And, just, you know, uh, actually, you know, what? you could probably find day workers who would do a better job than the people who built this building. Uh, sure,
1: or at least anyone with like the slightest care in the world <laughs> of anything yes. that they're doing. Because as we've already established how cheaply this building was apparently made and all the cost cutting and, and measures, Like it's it's one thing, I mean, in, in Richard Chamberlain's defense, which, you know, I really don't want to give it to him, um, you know, if if he is telling the truth and said he built the building to code, okay, fine. And if you want to say, all right, well, you know, and, and clearly he was anyway, you know, than Paul Newman, you know, his overspec. But let's say, let's say the building is actually overspec. With the way this building goes and explodes and all that goes on, I'm not sure how much any of that matters. Like, this building was going either way, I feel yes. like. You know what I mean? In Richard Chamberlain's defense, this building was going either way because it was built with, like, you know, toothpicks
0: and <laughs> gasoline no. and... Uh, good. William Holden is ultimately responsible because he was in charge. Oh, for sure, yeah, he 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 oversaw it all. Right. Obviously, he obviously didn't check on what was being done. God no, God no. He didn't even or have anyone have anyone check. (laughs) Because, like again, someone. Well, we'll, you go go ahead. (laughs) And obviously, somebody had to pay off the building inspectors for this building to be okayed for occupation. For sure, for sure, because clearly they didn't check the exits. So we get a cool, again, the, 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 the stairwell below Steve McQueen, the kids, and Jennifer Jones explodes. So we get a, like a, a, an exciting sequence where Paul Newman and they all have to navigate, basically holding on to the twisting wreckage of the, the metal stairs to, to get down so they can go through the burning building to the other stairwell to go back up and, and get up to the promenade because he wants to get them up as far to the top of the building as far from the fire as they can. They get up there and we find out, yeah, the reason they couldn't open the door from the other side is somebody built a wheelbarrow full of cement that sealed the door shut and left it there.
1: Absolutely incredible. and No one reported it. that.
0: But you also look at it and you're like, this stairwell only goes to the it's this tiny little <laughs> landing that only why was there a wheelbarrow full of cement there to begin with you would have had to yeah, yeah. yeah. and how did it get there <laughs> did somebody wheelbarrow it up up
1: the stairs well i guess i mean presumably they pushed it through the promenade but still where were you going with that down the stairs <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah it's it's
0: it's um... <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, uh, at this point, um, Wagner and Flannery, unfortunately, met terrible demises. But either, and, and they keep showing down on ground level, more firefighters arriving. And obviously, some sort of triage has been set because we see people suffering from smoke inhalations. There's doctors, nurses, paramedics running all over the place, place treating the people they've managed to bring down. And then everybody else is on the promenade deck. Above the fire, and Paul knew, uh, and the two firefighters that were set up, you know, again Felton Perry and um, and uh, Ernie Asadi, get up there and get the door open, so everybody. But now they're all trapped because the express elevators have failed, and nobody can go down the stairs because both staircases. Have been blown up. Both staircases have exploded, and there's no way down the stairs.
1: I mean, that's what happens when you build your
0: staircases out of gunpowder. They make an. Just idea. don't do that. They make a statement about the wind being too high to land a, ro- a helicopter on the roof to evacuate people that way. So they come up with the idea of a breeches buoy, which is they can attach. From the promenade deck to the tall building nearby, which is basically a terrifying sky ride, where you're in this little oh my god, (laughs) cage thing, and you just tall across 135 floors up in the air, inch by inch building, and even again, the flames in this building are so bad, the outside of the building is burning, and the wind. Flames It's
1: And the wind is perfectly fine for that. And they did remember they did try a rooftop rescue and it didn't really work out. Well for anyone but
0: that's (laughs) yeah. There's there's a reason
1: they they eliminate that. But And we'll just and we'll just we'll we'll end the rooftop rescue by saying and now there's a fire on the roof. Yes.
0: And no helicopter. And no helicopter, (laughs) yes. So they get the breeches buoy. So before that, one of the scenic elevators, which is an elevator that runs down outside the building, Paul Newman's able to rig so that it will go down. They won't be able to get it back up, but he goes, I can get 12, 12 people. And 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 the movie is, you know, women and children first. So the two kids... Uh, they they actually started drawing lotteries to like every in in the the largest brandy sifter you have ever seen. Oh yeah, yeah, you could do some damage with that. The women all got to pick numbers to see which order they would be able to escape through the breaches, bully. So he says the first ten of you, you know, because it was random lots, and Faye Dunaway somehow got one of the first ten. I'm not saying Paul Newman rigged it in any way, but. Uh, <laughs> Paul Newman rigged it to get Faye Dunaway out of there, which is again why she doesn't really get much of a part in this movie.
1: You don't have to say it, you could just
0: infer it and imply I mean, you could imply it rather and everybody else can just infer it. So he says, you know, like, those do. those 10 women, the two kids, he also says Jennifer Jones because she helped rescue the children and one of the firemen because he wants a trained fireman in there in case anything would go wrong. Well, what could possibly go wrong? Well, again, this building is so wonderfully constructed, about yeah. halfway down, the elevator comes off the tracks, lean yeah. forward, and Jennifer Jones is thrown through the glass, I... bounces off the side of the building. It's... And... yeah. And as you pointed out.
1: I'm laughing, but yeah.
0: Paul Newman kind of killed her by putting her in the, I mean, you know. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's just—it's just like everything that could go wrong goes wrong, and I still can't believe they did Jennifer Jones like that. I no. mean, they do her so dirty, man. No, so dirty.
0: And then, of course,
1: the dirtiest was... of anyone, arguably, uh, they do her so dirty because not only, not only she—you know—she saves the kids, almost gets rescued once, and she—you know—risks her life. Then she's finally going to make it, falls. Bounces up. Well, actually, maybe that was probably better than land. I don't know, but man, they do her dirty.
0: And they also set up that even though she knew Fred Astaire was a con man, well, maybe she- they liked each other anyways. Yeah, and he was going to be able to give up his con man ways. Yeah, and they would. Yeah, she would have happiness that way. Right. They even the try to. even slide that in just to screw. She's yeah. been, you know, you, you know, alone for, you know, for a while. So, yeah, poor Jennifer Jones. Yeah, This leads to a rather exciting sequence where Steve McQueen is now hanging from a chopper with a cable because they want to try to hook the cable up to the helicopter. He's going to cut it loose of the cable because it's now just hanging by its cable. And hopefully the helicopter, he goes, yeah, then we're going to set it gently down on the street below. He even and It's one of the best lines of the movie when he's talking to the helicopter. Can you handle that much weight? I think so. If we can't, we'll find out real quick. Yeah. So you know, this leads to you know, at one point, because the fireman who's in the elevator comes out of the elevator to help McQueen, and as there's another explosion and the hell of the elevator breaks loose, he loses his balance and he's falling. McQueen is able to catch him and get one of his hands. So, you know, here we have the women and the children inside the elevator dangling from the helicopter. McQueen on top of the helicopter trying to hold on to this fireman so he doesn't fall to his death. And just as it's like just still high up and he loses his grip and the fireman falls. But you see, oh good. They got a an airbag, you know, set up underneath him in time. That he's not
1: killed, right? Finally, something worked out. Yes, as much as as much as anything works out. Yeah, um, probably probably the first thing that actually worked out for someone in this, except for maybe blowing open the C four for the stupid cement.
0: Meanwhile, and this makes the that that fireman and that this is the one played by Ernie Arcetti. One of the first people to really get. You know who was heavily involved in the action to get to safety. Jennifer Jones almost did, but Ernie Osteri is the first one. And, and meanwhile, Steve McQueen, because there's an exciting sequence where before the he's in an elevator when the elevators fail, and this is where Scott um, uh, Scott Newman, uh, Paul yeah. Newman's kid is one of the other elevator uh, one of the other firefighters in the elevators and they get this sequence where they have to rappel down this burning elevator shaft yeah to you know the next level and get out on the 81st floor which and there's this another good line where when he McQueen gets there like where you been we had a little trouble getting here
1: <laughs> yeah um Scott yeah Scott Newman like I said I think I think he's excellent in that scene like if if um you know, I'm I'm not made of anything close to the stuff of a of a firefighter, par- partially because the reason I'm too damn afraid of heights. But it's like I can kind of see it in
0: his eyes, what, what he's feeling there. There's a lot of and expectable. You know, not only is like the danger of the fire, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of. Well, you have to heights. take,
1: yeah, you have to take these indirect routes everywhere, which you know, much like the Poseidon adventure, was fodder for us as kids. You know, the most terrifying experiences for these people like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool if we like pretended the place is on fire and we had to like climb through the bunk bed to make it to the roof. There
0: there are scenes where Paul Newman's moving through air shaft and he's at one vertical air shaft, which seems like it's a direct drop all the way to the bottom to the top. Yes. Yeah. Which is, again, when he when he gets to the promenade level, he confronts William Holden's like, you didn't put in a single safety, you know, measure that I, you know, Air shafts weren't fire blocked, you know. You did nothing to prevent yeah. this from happening.
1: Which now explains why, you know, every time they cut away, there seems to be more and more fire, like more that. and That's more. Presumably fire. It how is, it's spreading.
0: It is spreading all over the building. And as much as we know Richard Chamberlain's character, you know, undermined things, you know, William Holden did nothing to prevent it. He would just right. again, Happy to hear that. Oh, you cut the cost, you saved money. Well, yeah, yeah you whatever. I'm not going to question what you did. I'm not going to say, Well, hopefully, you stole these materials and that's where they're sa- we're saving the money as opposed to you just not using the right stuff, right?
1: Right? Because, because I mean, again, fairness to Richard Chamberlain, at least to this point, like if he's telling the truth and all he did was just ignore the extras and built a the code, then it's like, eh, you know. Uh, that's not going to likely explain what's
0: happening in this building, <laughs> you know. But we should point out Richard Chamberlain really plays his character, the little hulk. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He is so slimy, and you know we talked about William Chamberlain when we talked about King Solomon's Mines. And this, you watch these two movies, and you can see what a good actor this guy is. Yes, because he's... So charming and likable as immediately charming and likable. Yeah. And here, he's slimy and loathsome.
1: Immediately slimy and loathsome.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Immediately. You know, you almost think like he's not sweating, he's oozing slime. Yeah.
1: He is just
0: awful. (laughs) He really is. As we'll get to it, as, the you know, the women one by one are being, you know, um, rescued by Breaches buoy, it's becoming more and more obvious that this is going to take too long and there's no way everybody's going to get out. Right. And he looks and starts talking with some of the other people like. And again, a little bit of credit where credit is due. He says, yeah, well, we're going to just go up there and demand we get the next turn after the last woman. He at least like you know, you know, Once all the women are, are are saved, then we're gonna butt in and demand the next ride out. And I want to ask any any, especially our, our uh, any female listeners we might have, and you can you know answer on on Twitter. Maybe I'll 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 put a poll up on Twitter. You can you know movie Matt Sorois, all one word M O V I E M A T T S I R O I S is this movie being sexist by doing women first? I mean, I, I myself think like, of course, in a disaster situation, women and children first. And of course, children first, nobody should be arguing that children aren't rescued right away. And I have no problem because I would feel like such a jerk. If, you know, I was, you know, got on that breeches buoy and there were still women. But is that, I mean, that's sexist, isn't it? Am I being sexist? Is it a chauvinist thing? Because obviously you're not treating the women as equal if you're saying, well, they should be rescued first. I I don't, I I guess we need the female perspective on that. Am I am I uh, I just basically being George Costanza? Women when he when he bursts from the in that that episode where he pushes down Eric the clown and flees the fire and Jerry's like so you think women and children first is an antiquated? He goes no, I should she should be respecting me for treating them as equals. And I just you know I, I, I don't know. I would definitely stand aside and say. You know, okay, ladies first. But is that in in today's society? Is that wrong? I I mean,
1: for me, you would have to be a baracus me onto that breach
0: point. Well,
1: I feel like I am going never. <laughs> you can go, you can go. Oh, you can go. <laughs> you know,
0: maybe they were being jerks by saying, "Well, I guess if all the women make it, it's safe." yeah right
1: yeah exactly uh, let's, yeah. Let the,
0: let's let the women try this out first
1: yeah exactly i i would be more like robert wagner with the with the slightly damp towel over my head thinking i can make it
0: so when when the last of the women do make it out richard chamberlain and um a bunch of the other guys go forward and say we're going next william holden punches him out and says you know We're going to go in order, and if it makes anybody feel better, I'll be the last one out along with my son-in-law over here.
1: Which, A, oh, yeah, we feel way better. And B, he ripped up the ticket, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, during a bit of a distraction, Chamberlain and a bunch of other guys rush the breeches and They all try to climb onto it together. Uh, Robert Vaughn goes to try to get them, you know, try to stop this because, you know, it's not going to hold everybody. They're going to break the breeches buoy. Unfortunately, he gets caught up in the melee and the breeches buoy does break. And he, Richard Chamberlain and several other men go plummeting to their deaths. And I got to say. I don't think Richard Chamberlain got to come up as he deserved. I think this death was too easy on him because Jennifer Jones, Robert Wagner, and Susan Flannery all had much more horrible deaths. Oh for sure. I think for even sure. Carlos might have had a worse death. Uh
1: I would say a hundred percent Carlos uh, had a worse death. Um yeah, no, no, he, he could have yeah, he could have gone a lot worse, especially in light of Carlos and Jennifer Jones alone. Um, or even, I, I, I forget his name, but um, Paul Newman's friend there. Um, oh, basically uh, the first uh, one
0: to die. Yeah, the one that the uh, the technician. Yeah, did. yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. You know, for, for sure, he does not get the comeuppance that I needed him to get.
0: So at this point, the fire has raged out of control. And the head of uh, San Francisco fire department played by Dabney Coleman, who only gets you know the one scene, but we love Dabney Coleman, so it's always nice to see him. He gets Steve McQueen oh, called yeah. over and they come up with the plan that at the very top of the building are water tanks filled with millions of gallons of water that if they blow those tanks open and blow out the floor beneath the tanks... All this water will come rushing down through the building and douse the fire and get it out of control and get it under control. Now, I want to point out the architect who is going over the plans and tells Steve McQueen this plan is played by Olin soul You might not recognize his face, but you will recognize his voice because for many years he provided the voice of Batman in the Super Friends cartoon. So in that scene, you got Damney Coleman, Steve McQueen, and the voice of Superman's uh, super friends, Batman, which is just kind you know, it, it's cool to me. I just, I love that. And I just like the fact that I like, that's the guy who voiced Batman for many years on Saturday mornings. I mean, come on, that's Bullet and Batman together in one scene. That's pretty cool.
1: So. I mean, I I don't. You watch Superfriends more than I did, so I, I guess I didn't. I didn't
0: hear it. Yeah, I kind of thought that might be, might be a possibility. And you know, I really had to close my eyes and listen before I heard it, which makes me think he might adjust his voice a little bit when he did do the Batman voice. But oh yeah, regardless, that's him. So now they they you know at first Steve McQueen's like okay. Somebody's got to go up there, you know, because now conveniently the winds have died down and they can get another helicopter up there to drop somebody off. And Steve McQueen's like, all right, so why are you telling me? And apparently he's one of two men in the department who has the training to place the explosives they need to place. And the other guy was just taken out by ambulance because he's injured. And McQueen's almost like, well, okay, so you get me up there. How you get me back down? And of course, there's the silence of we're not. Right. And he's like, all right. So they contact Paul Newman and McQueen explains the situation. He's like, all right, well, um, Newman's like, I know where the explosives would need to be set in order to do all that. But I don't know how to set the explosives. And McKean's like, oh, don't worry. They'll find some idiot to go to find to go up there and do it. Meet me on the roof at this point. So even as Mac- as Newman is leaving the Parmenade, you see that the fire has reached that level The uh, Felton Perry, who's playing the firefighters, is fighting, you know, flames as they're coming through one section. And he heads up to the roof, meets up with McQueen, and they start setting the explosives around these massive water tanks. Now, they've also McQueen, uh, sorry, Newman has explained this to the the remaining people, like, they're not going to be able to save us in time. The only hope is if we blow these water tanks, and he even says, you know, this is a dangerous situation. Hopefully, some of us will survive if blowing the water tanks works. And everybody, he starts saying, you know, find a place. Millions of gallons of water are crashing through here. Find a place and tie yourself to something so that the water doesn't wash you out these, these windows that we had to smash open. They Which, up. Thankfully,
1: they did, or they'd likely be drowning.
0: Yes, they head up. They place the explosions. This, this, you know, they get back. And, you know, stuff happens. And most of the people who are survived, the main characters left at this point are William Holden, uh, the mayor, the firefighter Carlos, and Fred Astaire. Most of them are tying themselves to solid structures, but you see that there's some and it's just still it's, running around. Yeah. And you're like, what are you doing? One of what them like
1: you... running past the fireman as he's actively yeah. fighting the fire. <laughs> he's just running through it. Like, excuse me, pardon me.
0: Where are you running to? What are it's you incredible. running from?
1: In that <laughs> direction, no
0: less. And and it's main... a huge room. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't go anywhere. No. And, and even the man is like, what are you idiots doing? Tie yourself to get something. It's, McQueen, it's fantastic. McQueen and Newman make it back to the promenade, you know, seconds before the explosions go off and, you know, they tie themselves down. The explosions go off. The water comes gushing in. I don't know what they had against Fred Astaire because yeah. it seems like he gets a fire hose put on him. Yeah. He's smashed with water. Everybody's getting smashed with water. The idiots that didn't tie themselves down are, of course, shown being pushed through glass windows, bludgeoned by falling debris to their death. Poor Carlos, who had tied himself to. Oh, poor fucking Carlos! (laughs) Part of the structure is knocked over, down on top of him.
1: He's crushed to death. He could have put himself basically anywhere in the room and be fine. But he gets killed by this thing that just happens to fall on him. Like, dude, mind you, it manages. So poor Carlos, right? He survived through the film at this point. Now, granted, he's been in the room to do it. Um, he, He ties himself under a bar and still has something fall on him.
0: Yeah, something. Carlos, you know, it had, I don't know, maybe it was bad karma. I don't know. The mayor is also killed, and he had actually tied himself down, but he was obviously hit with so much water, he's knocked loose. And, you know, Newman, McQueen, Holden, Astaire, the firefighter, and several others do survive. Well, later, it's not explained how, but, you know, obviously they're, you know, they get back down to ground level for, you know, the epilogue. You know, Newman's reunited with Faye Dunaway and uh, Bill Holden is reunited with Susan Blakely as his daughter, kind of, you know, t- explaining almost to her that, you know, Richard Chamberlain didn't make it. and They're all sad. And Holden looks up and says at the the destroyed building and says, May God never let this happen again. And it's like, you know what, dude? Yeah. This wasn't an act of God. You screwed this up. Furthest thing from it. Furthest thing from it. You. If only we could have known. (laughs) You blew it. This was not everything just went wrong. And there was nothing. No, 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 no.
1: No, no. He's just a sad sack, Matt. He's just, you know, things just didn't quite work
0: out. And if anything... He would have been better off being killed
1: oh, for because sure. he
0: is so he's going to get suffocated in lawsuits. <laughs> yes, he is done. His he is over. I mean, the mayor of the city and a U.S. Senator died in his incompetently constructed building. And while Newman is sitting with Faye Dunaway, Steve McQueen walks by with his equipment, of course, exhausted. And he says, like, you know what? One day, ten thousand people are gonna. Di- One of these is gonna kill ten thousand people until you know somebody finally asked us, asked, asked the fire department, how to build them safe. And Newman says, "Okay, well I'm asking," which I don't think is fair to Newman's character because he all. designed the building to be safe. He did. This, this was not built. To his specifications,
1: right. I mean, the movie went on and on about how William Holden just made the thing so such a cheap death trap. So then to like turn around and be like, "Hey, and, you well, didn't know what you were doing." It's like,
0: no, I he, he did. I I it seemed like it. I almost wonder if Steve McQueen was saying, "Hey, I have to kind of have, you know, if I don't get the last line in the movie, I have to be able to at least put looked at be able to look down on Paul Newman and be like." Tiss, tiss, tiss.
1: Which he does literally do. And figuratively. That's
0: complete speculation on my part. I have no idea if that's accurate at all. That's just kind of my perspective because it doesn't match at all what Newman's character did to keep the building safe and what he yeah. Because he was just he was even more angry about how the building was constructed. For than sure. Because
1: his, his, his name and career is on the line and everything. Yeah. Um, it's kind of strange too. It, well, you know what? I don't know, man, because it does seem tacked on, because it's not like the movie is badly written. Um, that just seemed thrown in. Yeah, I don't know. You know? because uh, like cause like the message of the movie to that point, like that that line seems to come out of nowhere. They spend the whole movie um making it very clear that Paul Newman had nothing to do with this disaster, that he did the right thing, that he'd overspect it, and look, he's trying to, you know, help and everything, and then to just kind of like I don't know. I mean, you, you could look at it from the in-movie perspective of Steve McQueen's character probably doesn't know any better, and he's just looking at the guy, like, you know, the big hubris who, you know, has a huge phallic symbol to the sky, and it should burn down because, you know, you, you spit in the face of God or whatever. Um, but that's not at all what happened. It no. was cheap. It was cheap.
0: Nope. Yeah, it's, it's Holden and Chamberlain's fault. They are the ones that should have been, if anything, it should have been Paul Newman and Steve McQueen standing there yes. hands on their hips staring down yes. at William Holden you know
1: right how dare you sir at least sucking their teeth and shaking their head gently side to
0: side yeah yeah now of all the disaster films i think this is the biggest and the best i oh for sure I enjoy probably Poseidon Adventure a little bit more because it is smaller and faster paced. It's
1: shorter, which helps. But, um, I mean, I don't want to like, I don't want to damn this movie because it's long and oh, it's, you know, long or whatever. It's just like, you know, you need some time to watch it. It's it, you know, But bear, what, bear in but,
0: mind it is it's it, it does take a while to sit through. What I'm going to say is if you want to see if you if there's one disaster movie to see from this time period, this is the one. For sure, for sure. Maybe also Earthquake because it's got kind of like it's even bigger in scope because it's an entire city. But this one I really feel is the best because I, I enjoy, of the airport movies, I enjoy Airport 77 the most. That's the one where the plane crashes. In the big I was going to say, not, not Airport? No, Airport is barely a disaster movie when it really comes down to it. Okay. Airport is almost all a soap opera, and there's a little subplot about a bomb being on one of the planes. Okay, but of the the, I, I like seventy seven because that's the one where the plane crashes and they're trapped under the water. Okay, but yeah, this is this is the movie I would say to see, especially again, it's probably one of the best casts ever put together as well. Um, anything else specifically say about this movie or should we go on to, uh, recommendations?
1: No, I mean, everything you just said, like all I could really do is echo it. You're right. Like I, I'm with you as, as, um, as great as the Poseidon Adventure is. And I would urge you to see both or all of the movies you just yes. mentioned. If
0: you're picking one, it, it really should be this one. Yeah. I think Poseidon Adventure may be the better gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, But And if if you don't like Towering Inferno, I don't think the disaster genre is for you then. Right, because
1: it's called, I mean, I don't want to just say they're all the same, but at the same time, I mean, they follow a
0: formula. Yes, but this is the one that really, you know, like we said about Silverado being like almost everything a Western will offer, can offer is in Silverado. Pretty much everything the disaster movie genre of the 70s has to offer this one does as well the huge past sure. the huge spectacle the huge stakes for sure it's all there um so what are your recommendations um uh,
1: well one of them you mentioned earlier uh volcano not a movie that did well in the theater not an excellently reviewed movie not exactly an amazing movie but i do like that movie it's kind of fun
0: I, um i, I... I like it better than Dante's Peak myself.
1: I like it better than Dante's Peak. Um, uh, Volcano is an awful lot of fun. So um, I guess
0: my uh, my on-theme pick will be Volcano. All right. For me, if you want to see the best firefighting movie I think ever made, you got to go with Backdraft. Right on. With our buddy, um, I mean, we don't know him, but we love Kurt Russell. Yeah, I mean, we don't know Who him. stars in that. Who has his birthday coming up this month? Kurt Russell's birthday is March 10th. Oh, right on. So, happy birthday to him. Yeah, just a few days. If you want a movie similar to this, well, Dwayne Johnson's Skyscraper. You you see this trailer for Skyscraper, you think they're doing Die Hard, but if you see the movie, it's much more Towering Inferno than it is Die Hard. I still haven't seen that. If you want to see die hard beats towering Inferno check out Dwayne Johnson and skyscraper also um a more modern recent although recent by what 25 years ago daylight starring Sylvester Stallone I that oh, that's a good a, one that movie gets a bad rap but I really enjoy it
1: no that's a good one too all right Did, like middle-tier, middle-tier film. um yeah so I, it,
0: it, it, it's more similar to the Poseidon Adventure because there's stuff like almost directly taken for the Poseidon Adventure in that one, but it, it's a good one.
1: Yeah, yeah, right on.
0: All right, what about your random recommendations?
1: Oh, random recommendation. Uh, well, you know what? You mentioned it early, mentioned it earlier, um, and I've been thinking about it through ever since Crawl. Uh, uh, it's a movie we've talked about on the episode, but screw it. Watch it again. Crawl's amazing.
0: All right, I'm gonna go a, even more random, and because we talk about Shout Factory a lot and their their releases, well, I want to recommend uh, Kino Lorber. I and guess most, you could go directly to their website, which is KL Studio Classics, and they probably have the deepest catalog of movies, not and just deep cuts a lot of the stuff that we had when we started this podcast, a lot of the stuff we didn't have on DVD we wanted to get and couldn't find. But Kino Lorber is the one that's putting most of the stuff out and keeping it out there. And they, they're doing Blu-rays. Um, they just released Secret of the Incas, which is the movie that heavily inspired Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, I'm recommending you check out Kino Lorber at klstudioclassics.com
1: Yeah, that's how we got, um, among other things, that's how we got our uh, Treasure of the
0: Four Crowns. The Treasure of the Four Crowns, My Science Project. Yep. Um, there's been a couple we, we, we've gotten that way. and And whenever they do a sale, I, I don't always wait for a sale, but usually they'll do a sale where a lot of their titles are on deep discount. You can, you know, Go there and, and and check it out. I, oh, yeah, my if, bodyguard, uh,
1: one million years BC. Yeah, really good stuff on here.
0: Yeah, if if you're a fan, if you're especially a fan of physical media, and their their DVDs are very reasonably, DVDs and Blu-rays are very reasonably priced. You know, uh, uh, check them out. All right, so now it's time to. Connect this movie to the Magnificent Seven. Oh yeah, we've got about that. <laughs> Todd, we've dropped hints. I've dropped hints all through the damn movie. It should be pretty easy. I'm just gonna go ahead and let you go first, because even if you pick the obvi- the more obvious of the two. All right, go ahead. Just well, I mean that.
1: Look, uh, well, all right, obviously we kept mentioning um, Steve McQueen and Robert Vaughn, who are both in Bullet, uh, with Don Gordon, who is in Lethal Weapon, with Mel Gibson, uh, who, and you know where I'm going with this, was in Payback with James Coburn. So that was, what, uh, one, two, three. That's pretty good.
0: Yeah, that's... uh... Yeah. Okay. So... uh... Yeah, as as everybody knows, Steve McQueen and Robert Vaughn were both in the Magnificent Seven. So I'm going to remind the audience <laughs> that yes, right. you can uh, you can find us on Instagram and oh, Twitter wow. at Movie Matt Saroyce, all one word. <sighs> um, let me know what you think about you know is women and children is women first and Antiquated and chauvinist thing? Is it not treating women as equal or is it just <sighs> the way it should be? And yeah, you can read like
1: Instagram, brick through window.
0: Uh, I would prefer no bricks through the window, but. Uh, I mean. But <laughs> I mean, you read it. Somebody will. Well, with that, we uh, thank you all for listening and hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone.